morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Mario, also known as the Node Defender, joining us. And guys, the rest of the team is going to be traveling today to NYC or XRP NYC. Super exciting. So we're going to talk about that as well. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the state of American regulation is finally reaching a breaking point. After SEC's chair Gary Gensler was questioned in front of Congress yesterday, we bring the highlights from this latest hearing. As the BIS project Embridge is moving into the next phase of testing and adoption, the XRP price chart is looking more optimistic than ever over these coming weeks. We're going to discuss three major catalysts that could happen before 2024. And with a member of Congress requesting the release and restructuring of Gary Gensler around the SEC, we break down the details, showing our community how the USA could still become a hub for crypto adoption and development. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Mario, we got a bunch of great content prepared for today, but Gary Gensler, he basically brought the content for us after yesterday's hearing. So how are you feeling? And thanks for being here. I know, man. I'm feeling amazing. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing great in the chat. Uh, today, I only have to say good morning to Abs because everybody else, actually, everybody else is probably listening. I see Jeremy's in the chat. Uh, super excited to see everyone. It's actually really cool that this time the party's coming to me. I don't have to go and chase the party. So I'm only a few minutes away. For anyone that's wondering, I live at 123 Main Street. In, I'm just joking, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but uh, I'm super excited for tomorrow. I'm super excited for today's show, man. Awesome, guys. And if you're wondering where Johnny Crypto's lake house is, maybe that's something we'll reveal at the end of the show. And I'm only teasing my buddy out there. But we're going to start this thing off the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates throughout the day. When we look at some of the daily movers this morning, Mario, it's green across the board. Almost every token is up about 3%. And that's pretty exciting for everybody out there. When we look at the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.06 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin up about 3%, sitting at 26,700. Ethereum, 1640. XRP is 50 cents. And Cardano still sitting at a quarter. And Mario, we already got 145 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the lowlights and the highlights from Gary Gensler's testimony before Congress. But I think it's important that we start with this video out of Congressman Warren Davidson explaining how now is the time for a restructuring around the entire SEC. You're pushing a, a woke political and social agenda, and I think abusing your role in the authority of the SEC uh, as cover. So, uh, you know, I think fundamentally uh, the SEC Stabilization Act would remove the role of chairman. Uh, it would preserve uh, the current commissioners. We would add a, a, a sixth commissioner. So there would be uh, no more than three from any one political party. And so that would provide a path that would make the SEC do what you're avoiding. Frankly, you're front-running Congress. You're front-running the courts. You're front-running even the own administration. And no one has held you to account for that. I mean, I wish the Biden administration would say you're fired. Uh, but there won't, the list of folks they need to do that for is long. Congress hopefully will with the SEC Stabilization Act. I yield. Well, what's really interesting, Mario, is that he's pointing to Gary Gensler as the one holding back the entire crypto industry. But we know Gary Gensler is an actor for a much larger narrative that's happening behind the scenes. Big banks and financial firms are not ready to adopt crypto assets because we don't have the infrastructure for them to profit yet. The second JP Morgan and all these firms are ready to profit, we're going to see guys like Gary Gensler become very crypto friendly he even made a statement about Bitcoin that we've never heard before. But what do you take away from Warren Davidson's statements? Now's the time for restructuring around the SEC. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Abs. I mean, uh, Gary Gensler is the public-facing Simpsons character. So if they were to replace him, it would just be another character. It would just be another puppet that has to kind of go by what the main agenda is. And at this point, like, I get it. I, I think that uh, it's already positive to start to see these kind of conversations to be had in Congress, but we we should really be having Congress start to discuss what the regulation that should be the focus of of uh, of Congress right now. What are what is the framework? What is the regulation around these assets? Then 
we can turn around and, and, and whoever's sitting at as the SEC chairman, we can say, all right, now you have this framework, you know how to enforce it. Because right now the problem that we have is this lack of clarity. The uh, SEC chairman is obviously going to enforce the current regulations or what they believe to be the regulations that uh, crypto uh, falls under, which unfortunately it falls under the Securities Act. And um, yeah, that's what should be the focus going forward, honestly, Abs. But um, nonetheless, I think it's positive that we're starting to see crypto being mentioned like every single time there's one of these Congress uh, hearings or, or, you know, crypto has been at the voice and Bitcoin and all that. So I think that's positive. Well, Mario, I think we're on the precipice of something massive, not only for Bitcoin, but for the crypto industry overall. And we already got 200 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. If you're wondering what we're doing tomorrow, we are going to be in New York City for the Ripple event. So that's super exciting. If you guys see any members of our team, please come up and approach us. And I know Johnny Crypto would say the same thing for himself. So please approach Johnny Crypto, shake his hand. The man deserves some love. But let's check out these latest statistics out of Bloomberg Intelligence, because right now there are over seven ETF applications sitting at the SEC. And right now, Bloomberg Intelligence is predicting, Mario, there's a 95% chance those ETFs are approved within the next 12 months. That's what we're on the precipice of. But before we get an ETF approval, we're going to need to hear the opinion of Gary Gensler on what he believes Bitcoin is today. Is Bitcoin a security? Let's ask Gary. Bitcoin, you've, you've made comments on this. You believe Bitcoin is, is not a security. Is that true? Well, I think the staff of the SEC have also uh, ended... Well, I'm just asking you this question. This is not a gotcha. I thought there was going to be an easy softball into harder questions. Do you think Bitcoin is a security? No, I think I've said this in the past that I think that it's I'm asking you to answer answer my question now. This is not supposed to be hard. I know. I said it does not meet the Howey test, which is the the land about being So it doesn't meet the Howey test. So therefore, it's a commodity. Is that fair? I, I, I would say it's not a security, and then the test is otherwise for other okay. uh, laws. Bitcoin, you've, you've made comments on this. So that's what's interesting, Mario. They've got no problem right now adjusting their stance on Bitcoin and labeling it as not being a security. What we're witnessing is Gary Gensler still stand against the entire crypto industry, claiming it's rife with fraud, used for nefarious activities. But all we're seeing outside of the U.S. is adoption on a scale never seen before. CBDCs tokenization. And we're going to talk a lot about that later in the episode. But how do you feel about Gary Gensler admitting in his eyes, Bitcoin's not a security? Well, I mean, if you like if when you listen to videos like this, um, you should really see or feel what's what's happening behind the scenes. Like it's such a simple question, yet he hesitates to answer. There's obviously some form of agenda that he's playing a part of. And that's why, in my opinion, he refuses to answer some of these questions, why he hesitates, why he goes around and like he dances around the question without giving an answer, a specific answer. Anybody, the reason why institutions are jumping in is because they have done their research. They see the technology. Bitcoin is used for nefarious activities. So is fiat. Well, guess what? With Bitcoin, you can see where those activities are happening. You can see where they're going. You can see where they came from. It's fully traceable and you can't do that with with fiat. So these institutions know that that what's happening. They know that the, the this move towards digital um, is inevitable. And so that's why they're jumping in. And Bitcoin is obviously the uh, the first It's it's the leader. It's the energy of the market. Uh, it's the asset class or it's the asset crypto asset, I should say, with the first regulatory clarity. Um, and so I think it's only a matter of time until we start to see institutions really go after other cryptocurrencies or uh, make it more obvious that they're going after other cryptocurrencies. Because I believe that this is already happening in the background. We just don't know. Um, we don't know the details. And right now there's over seven applications sitting at the SEC to, to get a spot Bitcoin ETF approved. And what we could see just off those seven applications alone is over $300 billion worth of buying power, at least according to Mark Yusko, coming directly into Bitcoin. And can you imagine when that liquidity floods into the alts, we'll see projects like Ethereum and XRP possibly even break all-time highs heading into 2025. But we got 211 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And I want to hear from you. We're going to be talking about whether the tokenization of an asset makes it a security. But before we get into that, Here's the latest details from the SEC pushing back applications on spot Bitcoin ETFs. This week, the SEC has asked for another 60 days before approving the ARC21 shares Bitcoin ETF. 
as well as the CBOE's exchange application. The ETF joins the ranks of several Bitcoin ETF applications at the SEC, with BlackRock, Fidelity, Van Eyck, Wisdom Tree, and several others already having their applications postponed. And Mario, if we're on the precipice of one of these being approved, we're on the precipice of all of these ETFs being approved. And Mark Yusko said it starts with BlackRock. What do you believe the implications would be for other tokens if the Bitcoin ETF is approved this fall? Yeah, I see why uh, Mark Yusko would say that um, BlackRock is going to be the first. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, I know that they kind of delayed or made this decision to push back pretty early. I believe they had until like November or October to make the decision and they did it pretty early. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe it's, everything's lining up for them to say yes to BlackRock first. Uh, I think obviously it would be like massive hypocrisy and also not fair towards the other players, especially, you know, ARK, ARK Invest. They've been trying to push for this Bitcoin ETF for a while. Uh, we also know that uh, Grayscale, it wants to convert their their fund into an ETF. And I think that they deserve it because they've been positive advocates for the crypto space. But like we really got to look at this from a uh, future grand scheme of things kind of perspective. Like crypto is not going anywhere. That's that's the big um, the big takeaway we can we can take here. So what does that mean? Bitcoin, as as the like I said before, the first asset with regulatory clarity and being declared a commodity is going to get the CTF one way or another when it's just a matter of time. And uh, and then the other cryptocurrencies, like you mentioned, they're going to follow suit. Um, I know that there's a little bit of this cloud looming over Ethereum because now that we've had this ruling with XRP, the SEC chairman has failed to answer some questions about Ethereum. So there's kind of this cloud. But um, as we've discussed in the channel, it's very unlikely that they're going to come after Ethereum now because they should have come after Ethereum at the same time, if not before they came after XRP. And so Ethereum continues to be the chosen one by by. Um, uh, institutions continues to have this sort of protection. And so uh, I really think that we will see follow suit of other ETFs, uh, you know, coming for other cryptocurrencies. So I'm excited to see and I'm excited for what the crypto and I see you're smiling and I know why. So I'll let you guys, we got a special guest joining us this morning. Some some of you know him as the CEO of Merlin. Some of you know him as the Italian stallion. Mr. <laughs> Johnny Crypto's in the building. First of all, nice surprise, my friend. I'm excited. I'm traveling to your house 6 p.m. tonight. It's going to be a great weekend. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I've got to head in. I've got to leave in 10 minutes, boys. But I had 10 minutes and I saw you guys were missing. You know, I know we got some crew members traveling. I figured I'd come in and join you guys for a little bit of time. Salute all the, the warriors. Good morning, Warrior Maniacs. And, uh, yeah, I'll be out of here soon, but I just want to spend a few minutes with you guys. I miss you guys. Shout out to Antonio as well. I hope he's ready for a bunk buddy this weekend. But guys, we're going to have this. We're going to get Johnny Crypto's opinion on this great video right here, because I think this is the most impactful video from yesterday. This is Gary Gensler being questioned about what's an investment contract in his eyes. And if you need a contract for it to qualify. So a little confusing, but this is self-explanatory. Law of the land, and that's the Supreme Court law of the land. So in, in, in Howie, the Supreme Court refers to an investment contract as a contract scheme or transaction. That was the terminology that I saw in the case. And as far as I can tell, there's nothing in the Supreme Court's jurisprudence that suggests that a scheme or a transaction means the absence of a contract. And so by way of illustration, you know, consider the landmark case of SEC versus Howey. In the Howey case, it was not a single contract, but there were two contracts, a land sales contract with the Howey company and a service contract with Howey in the Hills. And the court found that the combination of those two contracts, the total scheme, the total transaction, the total economic reality, uh, was constitutive of an investment contract. And so a scheme or a transaction does not mean the absence of any contract at all. It means, as it did in Howie, a multiplicity of contracts. Uh, in August, there were six law professors from law schools as preeminent as Yale who came to the following conclusion, quote, no decision of the Supreme Court has ever found that a scheme that does not involve a contract could qualify as an investment contract. And so do you disagree with that statement? And if so, could you please cite a decision of the Supreme Court that has found an investment contract in the absence of an actual contract? The SEC has been in front of multiple courts and uh, investment contract has been... Uh, What's the name of the case, Mr. Gensler? I'm, I'm the Supreme Court case that has found 
an investment contract in the absence of an actual contract? Do you have the name? Can you cite a case? The, the SEC over the decades, whether it's Can you cite a case? whether it's whiskey okay. caskets, whether it's crypto, if the public is investing based upon the efforts of others. I, I, I find it telling that you cannot cite a that's single a, case. That's a security. Not a single, how about a second circuit case? Can you cite a single second circuit case I and found an investment contract in the absence of a Checkmate. Understand where you're trying to go, and I'm going to leave that to the very fine attorneys at the SEC in front of courts. But I'm saying the core principle. Mr. Gensler, this is a field. This is this is. Let me finish. Let me finish. This is the. This is a question to which you should know the answer, because the definition of an investment contract is the central issue. That's what determines the extent of your authority. That's what determines the applicability of federal securities law to crypto transactions. And your inability to answer that question is baffling to me. I'm answering it consistent with what the Supreme Court has said, which is the law of the land is a four-part test. And yet you can If this doesn't just show, and believe me, the, the end of this clip is what's most important, guys. They actually discuss the tokenization of a Pokemon card. Is a Pokemon card a security? Then why is a tokenized Pokemon card a security? We already got 285 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, I think it really does highlight the hypocrisy of today. If an investment contract isn't a contract, where are we? What, what are we doing here, guys? So, Johnny, give me your opinion before I play the end of this. Well, this is why I call him Gary Dantzler, because he just dances around the question. He just won't give you an answer, unfortunately. But you can't have an investment contract without a contract. I mean, I don't understand. It doesn't get – it's one of the four pieces. But you said the most important part was at the end, so I would love to hear what happened if you want to hop into that. Absolutely, guys. We're going to jump right into this thing. Remember, guys, Gary Gensler – I'm not sure he even knows what he's explaining here. So pay attention. It gets a little bit confusing. It is a tokenized Pokemon card a security? Let's hear it. Not cite a single case. Just it's more than Howie. It's called Reeves. It's called many cases at the Supreme Court, sir. Eight can or nine times it's been affirmed by the Senate. Can I ask, suppose I were to purchase a Pokemon card. Would doing so constitute a security transaction? Uh, you can purchase a Pokemon card. It's I, I don't know what the context is, but if you're just purchasing a Pokemon card. If I purchase a Pokemon card, is that a security transaction? That's not a security. Okay. If I were to purchase a tokenized Pokemon card on a digital exchange via blockchain, is that a security transaction? I, I'd have to know more. Okay. So, so for you, the process of tokenization is what transforms a non-security transaction said, into a security it, transaction? Well, I guess Gary got caught in the mud there, Johnny Crypto. He was caught in his – I just don't understand the ideology behind this whole thing. If it's a Pokemon card that's been tokenized, you're actually adding more value for the investor. It doesn't, it doesn't constitute an investment contract because the underlying asset is exactly the same and there's no contract. The whole thing doesn't make sense, but you give me your thoughts and I'll kick it to Mario. Well, I think what he's trying to say, first of all, I don't know if I said it, but good morning, Mario. Looking handsome as always. Uh, I think, Abs, what he, where Gary is trying to go with this is he's tra he was about ready to say it before they cut the video, was if, it, if, if the general public thinks that the entity that's selling the tokenized cards are going to do something that's going to raise the value of the whole of the card set, then that is where you come along the edge of possibly being a, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, you know, meaning the Howie test and being a security versus if I buy a Pokemon card from you or from the store, I'm not expecting the store or you to do it. I got the card. I take it home. It's done. Nobody sees it again. And so I think in his mind, I'm just trying to figure out where he's going with this. In his mind, I think that's the rationale he's trying to say. And that's why he said it depends because if the entity, let's say, Board eight yacht club or whatever the hell they were you know the yacht club or or the entity that's selling pokemon cards if that entity is putting out cards and telling people that this is going to grow and they're showing uh, a roadmap or a white paper of how it's going to burn it's going to have a deflationary value and the price can go up now you start getting on the on the edges of 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 advertising something that could go up because of what other people are doing and so what if I, you, let me ask you this. What if you, what if you leverage a neutral technology like Gary Gensler often describes to give these contracts, sorry, not contracts, give these Pokemon cards 
a place to be maybe lent out and generate additional value, but that underlying entity isn't profiting off of that. Could you see a situation where that takes place? Because I think that's kind of what decentralized applications are. I think if you get to the point, and I'm not an attorney, so we'd have to ask one that's on the show. I think as long as there's no promise, the entity that's offering them isn't making a promise that they're going to go up in value. That That's one of the things that constitute a, a, um, a security app. So if that entity is maybe a nonprofit or it's not promising any return, then then you have a better argument to say, hey, this thing is not a security. I bought it without the intention of thinking it was going up. And yeah, then then I don't think it's a security in that situation. And I think that's why Gary said it depends. And I get why it frustrates people because the definition is very, there's a very thin line between is it a security or not a security, depending on whether you've got an entity there, a contract in place and a promise to go up. So those are the things that you have to remember. Like Bitcoin, there's no entity. There's nobody promoting Bitcoin. There's no one company you would go. Yeah, there's developers and stuff like that that are doing things to improve the net. But there's no one entity that's saying, abs, you go buy this Bitcoin. And I promise you, with the efforts I'm doing in two years, Bitcoin's going to be at you know XYZ price. That's not happening with Bitcoin. And that's why he said yesterday, or yeah, I think it was yesterday, he pretty much admitted there is no you know, Bitcoin is not a security because those elements just aren't there. Does that make sense? It definitely does. And Mario, I'd like to hear your opinion as well. I felt like American regulation was going to take a big step forward after the Ripple case was resolved because we'd have some sort of clarity. That doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like things are more confusing than ever. And we even had congressmen calling for a restructuring around the SEC to fix the problem. So what did you take away from Gary Gensler's statements there? Yeah, I mean, I have kind of kind of a rebuttal uh, to what we're discussing here. I mean, if it's a security or not a security, the bigger I, I think the bigger point is if it is a security, then okay, fine. But then how how do we comply with it being a security, or how does an entity comply with it being a security? Because my understanding is that there is no way. Like all these companies that could potentially, or all these uh, digital tokens or companies that are working around blockchain, they've tried to work with the SEC, and even though the SEC claims that there is a form on the website, there is no form on the website. So I think that's the bigger issue. Uh, besides, I think it's okay, uh, as uh, Johnny was explaining, you could have something in, in an essence of it not being a security. And then in another way in which is it, it is offered, it could be a security. And if that's the case, then that's fine. But at least let's have a regulatory framework or some sort of um, way in which these entities or these players can actually go and register and do things the right way. That's how, in my opinion, we'll, we're actually protecting investors by not providing clarity, not providing the forms, not providing the guidance. That's how we're allowing all these bad actors to uh, to, to come out and, and play. And I think that from an, from an, from an, uh, an like a perspective of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is not a security, but if I was to create a tokenized um, fund and I was to say that this fund is being backed by Bitcoin and I'm promising the investors to my fund that Bitcoin is going to go up, that's going to be a security. My, that's so, right. Yeah. That and offering, so, that's right. That offering that you create. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mario. And that's what people don't understand is the same item. Is either a security or not a security, depending on how it's offered. That's it. It's just that simple if you boil it down to the basics. And so, like, I laugh right here. You know, our man Greenwood says, we're told to buy Bitcoin all day. Yeah, but by who, right? It, who is the entity that owns Bitcoin that's telling you to go buy it and you're going to make a profit off of it? That particular entity, if they're packaging and making a product with Bitcoin, then that thing could be considered a security. But the underlying fundamental Bitcoin as a whole it's not because there is no single entity that owns it and is saying, hey, go buy this and you're going to make money. But to Mario's point, if Green, if Grayscale or when, when BlackRock comes out and they say, hey, here's a Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, that, that ETF, even though it's a Bitcoin ETF, it will have to be registered as a security. That's just how it works. Well, Johnny, guys, that, that said, unfortunately, I got a roll. I love you guys, and I'll see you guys in uh, in 24 hours. Anybody who's going to XRP, you, if you're at XRP, uh, not XRP Vegas, X, a Ripple Party, come up, swing up, say hi. We'd love to shake your hands. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. I love you guys both. Catch you later.
Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much, Johnny. We love you too, bro. And we got 287 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button because Warren Davidson, we already played the statements from yesterday. And I want to ask our live chat, XRP is still being discussed in Congress. What is left to really debate here, guys? But we're going to play this Warren Davidson video describing his new act that he filed to fire Gary Gensler. You know, frankly, your time as chairman has highlighted two problems, a Gary Gensler problem and a structural flaw in the SEC. And as I told you in April, I proposed a solution called the SEC Stabilization Act. Uh, you're, you're making the case for this bill easier every day you are acting as the chairman uh, by doing rulemaking after rulemaking without any regard to the impact of these rules, or maybe that's the feature for you, I don't know. Um, but it's having a massive impact on our markets. And we have markets that truly are the envy of the world, and why would you disrupt them um, you know, with, with processes that are driving capital out of our markets? Not because to avoid our laws, but to find some place where they can get clarity, where they can work with a regulator. So, Mario, I just want to pause this for a second here, because think about it. Even though they're calling crypto nefarious and they're stating that it's only used for malicious activity. Johnny Crypto is still behind the scenes messing with the cameras here. But one of the things that we can talk about right now is we can't annex this technology just because Gary Gensler doesn't want it to be uh, allowed in the United States doesn't mean we're not going to see it adopted around the world. And if we do have a situation just like that, the United States is in a huge disadvantage. For the first time ever, the American markets are being closed out of something as major as the internet or cryptocurrency. It's really, really unique. I want to play the remainder of this and we'll kick it to you. And get a decision and a path forward. So instead of selectively applied, you, you are short, you're not providing clarity with a rule that's evenly applied. You're intentionally shortened comment periods to limit feedback. And the courts have even called this arbitrary and capricious. You're pushing a, a woke political and social agenda, and I think abusing your role and the authority of the SEC uh, as cover. So, uh, you know, I think fundamentally uh, the SEC Stabilization Act would remove the role of chairman. Uh, it would preserve uh, the current commissioners. We would add a, a, a sixth commissioner. So there would be uh, no more than three from any one political party. And so that would provide a path that would make the SEC do what you're avoiding. Frankly, you're front-running Congress, you're front-running the courts, you're front-running even the own administration, and no one has held you to account for that. I mean, I wish the Biden administration would say you're fired, uh, but there won't, the list of folks they need to do that for is long. Congress hopefully will. And it doesn't end with Gary Gensler, Mario, but I do want to get your opinion here. Open floor, and then I'll get my take. Yeah, honestly, dude, I was just thinking here, I, this is nothing but a massive distraction. Like, I can't wrap my 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 mind around why it's taking this long for for uh, United States to catch up to crypto regulation, because it's not like they have to reinvent. They don't have to reinvent the wheel. They could just look at what all these other nations are doing and then uh, take that change some things if they don't agree with some of the things and then ad adopt it because the quicker they adopt it, the, the, I think the, the better is going to be for, for the United States. And as you know, Gansler's supposed to be technology neutral. America's supposed to be technology neutral because we want this type of things to be, to be happening inside our borders. But um, it's just a massive dis distraction. I, I can't help but, but feel that way. Thank you, Mario. And I'm sorry I got stuck on the other screen there because I'm pulling up this tweet from Ripple that we saw on July 13th after the rippling. And I do want to note, we rose 70% in the price chart just after this ruling alone. But Ripple confirmed right here what Gary Gensler apparently is still debating. XRP is not a security. And this win for Ripple is a win for the entire industry. It's a step towards regulatory clarity in the United States. And even though we're watching Gary Gensler combat crypto right now, his term is over in the beginning of 2025. We are going to see a shift at the SEC regardless of what Gary Gensler does. So, Mario, before we get into some more content here, is this the beginning of that shift? Members of Congress now calling out Gary Gensler's hypocrisy. Is this finally the time when we see Congress step up and take action? Um, I, I hope so. I really do hope so. I think it's already a positive sign that we're starting to get these conversations, like I was saying before. I think that, um, you know, the more these things get brought up, the more it's going to... Um, you know, the more is going to that that's bound to happen. And so I really think it's going to take I don't think Gensler is going to get fired. I mean, given the fact that 
We've got elections coming up next year. I think they have way more important things to worry about at this point than to fire Gary Gensler. So I really think it's going to have it's going to take a complete shift of government um, to then uh, create the regulatory framework, number one, and then the chairman can do can do its job, because I really think that that it doesn't come down to the fact that it's Gensler there. He could you know, people don't like him. I personally, <laughs> I'm not a fan of of how he's been over, over the last couple of years at the SEC. Um, but let's remember one thing. We were all, or most of us were super excited when we first started hearing that Gary Gensler was going to be the uh, chairman of the SEC because uh, we knew his, his background. We knew that he understood the technology. So if anything was going to be a positive advocate, if anyone was going to be a positive advocate, it would have been him. And things turned out the complete opposite. And so, again, I just think that he's he's just the face. He's just a puppet. He's doing his job, per se. And so but I uh, just to sum it all up, I really think that he's not going to get fired and it is going to take a complete shift of government to uh, to change things. But do you think there's more uncertainty than ever, even regardless of of the fact that Ripple won that ruling? I'd like to hear your take on why Gary Gensler. Somebody commented in the live chat and I find this to be interesting. This is probably a conspiracy. But what it says is. Russia could easily start settling oil through BTC, and that would destroy the U.S. dollar. I do think that we're going to see a difference in settlement oil trade. Right now, there's an agreement in Saudi Arabia where they're only allowed to use U.S. because of the military relationship that we have. I think be maybe even just a few months away from a restructuring of the oil industry, and anybody who studies economics knows that is the number one way the U.S. dollar is traded. If we see U.S. dollar dominance fall in oil trade, that is the beginning of the collapse of the U.S. dollar. So you give me your take, Mario. Yeah, that's another big conversation. Uh, I mean, we know what's happening with BRICS. We know what we know what's happening to the U.S. dollar dominance. Um, it's not something that started recently, in my opinion. It's something that's been in, unraveling over time, and uh, all the events that we've had over the last few years just kind of either exposed or boosted this event. Um, but there is definitely a movement away from the United from from the U.S. dollar, and so which uh, currency is going to be, you know, kind of this this replacement? Um, I mean, we've got a few options. We've definitely got the BRICS. Uh, I think they're one of the biggest contenders to take the spot. Now, whether we're going to start to see a crypto asset being, you know, this underlying um, like uh, exchange currency like Bitcoin, I don't know. But I definitely think the BRICS is the most obvious. I definitely think that because of the countries involved and the more countries that continue to want to get involved. But I don't know. I still I, I've been saying it on the show for many months. I still get the feeling that this is somehow all part of the plan and that I don't know. <laughs> I know that it, it might come across as a little naive on my on, on my behalf, but I really have a hard time in believing that America as the power that it is, is just open arms and saying, here, take everything away from me. We don't care. We're stupid. Uh, we're old. We, we're not smart. We don't understand technology. We don't understand what's happening to our currency. Uh, we don't see all these countries that are uh, moving against us or moving away from us. Uh, I really don't think that that's the case. And this is all just a distraction and keeping us looking one way while something else is happening the other way, like JB always says. And while we're talking about the adoption of regular crypto assets, we've got countries around the world developing central bank digital currencies. And that's what our next article is about here, guys. As Project Mariana, which was developed by the Bank of International Settlements, is now testing transactions in France, Singapore, and Switzerland for cross-border central bank digital currencies. And what I think is so interesting about this whole narrative, Mario, is as the market develops, we're continuing to see them choose Ethereum protocols and not many of our favorites. But... There are some Ripple and XRP connections to this Project Mariana, and that's what I'd like to go over right here. So we're going to start with this video of an affiliate of Project Mariana discussing his work with Ripple and XRP. Here we go. Payments market. Um, we've seen a lot of improvements in domestic payments uh, over the past you know, 15, 20 years. Things have become very efficient there. Uh, it seems to me that uh, there the, are the more persistent problems with, with cross-border payments. Uh, improvements seem to be slower there. What, why is that and why has no one fixed this yet? The big problem is it's called liquidity. So when a bank or a payment company is um, carrying out a payment for you domestically, all the money required to move that value between you, the payer, 
and whoever you are paying is already in the banking system in the UK in the right place. And that means that banks can move that money immediately. That's why we have that experience domestically of clicking our app, the payment happening, or tapping our phone on a, um, a device and the, the door to the, um, uh, the underground, in my case in London, opening and I go in. When you go and try that cross-border, you get the extra challenge of actually placing that money in the right account, in the right currency in time for that payment to happen, for the payment to move from the person paying, let's say in the UK in pounds, to the person receiving, for example, in Brazil's and the Brazilian reals. And so, Mario, the reason I wanted to play that video is because it highlights the utility of Ripple's ODL network. And we're talking about three major catalysts that could cause Ripple and XRP's price chart to explode this year. The adoption of the ODL system is the number one thing on my mind. When we talk about utility, it starts with Ripple's use of, for, of ODL for cross-border payments. And I think that's what we're on the precipice of, not only in the United States, but globally, and this, this article highlights that very well. So U.S. institutions could start integrating Ripple's ODL system this year. And this is where ODL, also known as on-demand liquidity, can trigger a massive uptick for XRP. ODL is RippleNet's liquidity management solution, a product that customers such as financial institutions can leverage to execute cross-border payments instantly and seamlessly without intermediaries. The gist of ODL is that liquidity is sourced from a pool filled with XRP, and the cost of sourcing this liquidity is low because it occurs when there's demand, hence the name. So what's really exciting, guys, is that banks can tap into this ODL system, get the liquidity they need, and then quickly exit, leaving that liquidity pool almost untouched after those three seconds. And once we see one firm do this, Mario, all the other fintech companies will follow, whether it's ODL, whether it's an XLM system. This is the future of payments, tapping into these liquidity markets and then quickly exiting how do you feel about the BIS kind of highlighting the ODL system when they're talking about cross-border payments? Yeah, I think this is um, it's just a sign, obviously. that They're definitely looking into it, like I said before. Like a lot of this stuff, we have no idea what's being talked behind the scenes. Shout out to Gonzo. Um, but um, yeah, I look, the technology that Ripple has built and um, obviously Stellar has something very similar. Uh it tackles a massive problem and it i have no doubt that there is going to be some sort of adoption whether it's ripple with the xrpl or stellar or it maybe it's going to take you know one of the big guys like the jp morgans to come out with their own solution and then everything gets adopted off of there because they're the big guys and and they run things um but um i think that there's definitely going to be a shift there it's going to have to happen because the world is moving faster than ever things need to happen instantaneously and unfortunately we still have this super old ancient banking system that takes days for payments to settle and so that shift is going to happen i am keeping my eye because although i have this thing for ripple and xrpl i also know kind of how um you know the big guys want to play things and so if they come out with their own solution which we've we know that that there's a lot of jpm coin and all that stuff that's that's behind the scenes if they put that in front of their users that alone is going to bring in like millions of users that are already instantly using it because they've made it available to their customers um so although i believe i still believe that ripple is going to be sort of the winner in that space i am keeping my eye just in case Awesome, Mario. And we got 327 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And tomorrow we are going to be recording GMC from New York City because of the Ripple event. So that'll be another great episode. But when we talk about American adoption, Mario, it's not just speculation here because we've actually seen Ripple employees like Stuart Alderati highlight how this court case could open the floodgates for American financial firms. Ripple representatives expect several American financial institutions will move forward in implementing their ODL platform or at least feel more comfortable talking about the problems they're experiencing with cross-border payments. And these statements came right after Ripple beat the SEC in court. Not only did we find out that uh, XRP is not a security, XRP is the only token with legal clarity in the United States, and everybody's focused on a Bit Bitcoin spot ETF. We could quickly see an ETF product come out for Ripple as well over the next coming months. And I'm excited to hear about the announcement that we might get on Friday, Mario. So 
Do you believe we're only a couple months away from some American financial firms using Ripple's technology? Or do you still think we're going to wait till 2024 and beyond? Well, I, maybe that's already happening. And we, like I said before, we just don't know. But Bank of America uh, was waiting for, for, for something to come out of this lawsuit to uh, make moves on Ripple and, and Ripple's products. And so far, we've not really heard anything. And I know that the case is technically not over. We've had a decision on XRP not being a security in and of itself. Uh, but there's still somewhat of a looming cloud over Ripple. And I really think it's just going to be a matter of time. It's going to be a matter of settlement. It's going to be a matter of slap on the wrist. Let's go. And uh, that's kind of the price they play. They pay to, to stay in the game. You know, you pay to play. But um, maybe Bank of America is already doing stuff in the background. Uh, we've not heard anything. Are they waiting for this to completely go away? Are we waiting for other banks to also come out and saying that they're utilizing Ripple or they're partnered with Ripple? They're utilizing their technology, their software, their tools. Um, it's just a matter of time. But I, I think it's... I think it's um, very um, telling how things are starting to, and I was thinking, trying to think of the right word, uh, how we're approaching the Bitcoin halving, right? And so when we look at the previous cycles, they all tend to play out sort of the same. You get the Bitcoin halving somewhat a year later, you have the all-time high. And we're coming up to the Bitcoin halving next year. And the Bitcoin halving typically signals an upward trend, right? Or a bull run. And Everything is kind of falling. There's all these events. There's all these news. There's all this uh, institutional adoption and use cases and uh, possibly finally utility for a lot of these other projects. And everything is kind of tying into the Bitcoin having. So one of the questions that a lot of people are have on their minds is, are we going to see a repeat of the cycles? And it almost feels like it would be too obvious for the cycle to repeat itself because most people already know about it. But most people is what? 5% of the world. Right. We still have 95 percent of the world that's not invested in crypto. Maybe those stats have changed slightly, but still, there's still a lot of people that have not invested in crypto are probably going to be finding out about crypto in the next bull run. And so with all these events coming together, um, I think it's very telling that we could be gearing up for something special in 2024, like you were like you were saying, Abs. Absolutely, Mario. And I love this update we got here from LC. It said banks are upgrading with the ISO payment system happening on November 19th. That is Citibank. Bank of America and BNY Mellon, as well as others. We got 331 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And there's one other important XRP question I want to address here. So Pancho Hernandez says, if XRP is used for a payment, is it going to be a stable coin or will it be pegged to the dollar? Here's what's interesting, guys. Even Let's go down the rabbit hole of if XRP became a stable coin. It doesn't mean it's pegged to the US dollar. It means it's fixed. It's pegged to a fixed amount of value. That could be anything. That could be a bar of gold. And this, this is where the conspiracies really begin. It could be a certain amount of dollars. It could be equivalent to silver. If they can peg it to any value. It wouldn't necessarily mean that it's $1 because it's now a crypto stable coin. So I thought that was worth addressing as well, Mario. And this is a really good uh, video. We're going to talk about Ripple and XRP here, but I want to read this statement of John Deaton discussing how right now Gary Genzer is on the hot seat. He said, I think Patrick McHenry is great. I really do. And I accept the fact that I'm naive or even ignorant to the longstanding customs and practices that the FSC and other congressional committees. I've always suspected that issuing a subpoena was seen as a line in the sand not to be crossed by either side. It's almost as if there's an unwritten agreement between the two parties. That's why I hate politics so much, said John Deaton. Gary Gensler is a bad faith bureaucrat. He has hurt investors, not protected them. And the fact that the FSC hasn't been able to do anything to protect us it's disturbing and unacceptable. Issue the damn subpoena, says John Deaton. Pretty please with sugar on top. Now we're going to listen to Congressman Warren Davidson explain what John Deaton just elaborated on. Third, your efforts to choke off the digital asset ecosystem, which has created real harm for consumers and our markets, is clear to all. You said the law is clear, but your actions have created more confusion and lasting damage. Chair Gensler, you've also said your goal is consumer protection. Yet your actions have pushed legitimate digital asset activities outside of regulated financial institutions where consumers are best protected. On one hand, we've seen bipartisan votes in Congress in this committee to provide clear rules of the road and real consumer protection. And on the other, we've seen your ad hoc regulatory regulation by enforcement approach to digital assets on, on a losing streak in the courts. 
You refuse to be transparent with Congress regarding your interactions with FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. That's the investigation we started last Congress. Finally, your lack of responsiveness to this committee's legitimate oversight continues to be unacceptable. And I want to finish here. In February, the committee made multiple requests for documents to the Securities Exchange Commission. This is normal congressional oversight. Yet seven months later, the committee has not received a single non-public document that was not part of a FOIA production. As I said, our patience is wearing thin. The SEC is not above the law, nor is it unique. Other financial regulators have routinely complied with congressional oversight. So let me be clear. I do not want to be the first chairman of this committee to issue a subpoena to the Securities Exchange Commission. Wow. And you should not want to be the first SEC chair to receive a congressional subpoena. Either we find a path forward where the SEC recognizes Congress as a co-equal branch of government and is responsive to our oversight duties, or my option is to issue a subpoena. It's time for you to consider the lasting consequences of your action, uh, your actions, and what that means to the Securities Exchange Commission's reputation long term. So, Mario, I do think it's an interesting time because for the first time ever, not only could we see Congress file a subpoena, I think we are seeing a massive, massive shift in the way American politicians are viewing this technology. When listening to this, you can clearly tell who's above 75 years old and who's below 75 years old, because it appears like there's an age difference here where they just can't wrap their head around the concept of digital assets, even as the U.S. dollar's value is collapsing every single day. But guys, we got 338 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And thank you for being here on this Thursday morning. I really want to give you the open floor, Mario, and then I'm going to give my opinion on everything that he just said about Gary Gensler. Yeah, it's just political political theater abs. I mean, like, you know, he gets asked questions like, where do you live in a house? You know, where are you going outside? He just answers broadly. He refuses to give like specific answers. And so to me, that signals that he's playing an agenda. Um, why would he not get in front, go in front of Congress and say, guys, give me something better to work with? I don't have better rules to work with. I'm following the book. I have no other option but to do this to these companies because this is the laws that we currently have. And we don't see him answer like that. Um, we know that the type of person he used to be before becoming the SEC chair, uh, he understands the technology. So, and he's supposed to be technology neutral. It's almost like he's a whole different character uh, once he became the SEC chairman. And so that's why I believe it's just political theater. He's playing the part of the agenda. Uh, he's going in front of these people. People are watching this. They're getting all like, oh, my God, Gensler is such an idiot. They're putting clown faces and <laughs> and everybody's laughing and everybody's having fun while behind the scenes, they know exactly what they're doing and they know exactly the direction that this is going. And it's just going to be a matter of time. You know what happens tomorrow? I don't know. But what happens in the long term? I know that it, it's going to be uh, adoption. It's going to be utility. It's going to be use case. Uh, digitization of assets is going to happen. Uh, tokenization, I should say, of assets is going to happen. Um, all these things that are being built out may end up being different in, in its end form, but um, it's going to happen. And so I really think that just to hone in, it, it is just a huge distraction. I think countries like China are celebrating when they're watching videos like this, Mario, because while they're setting up the framework to adopt this technology and even launch a CBDC, which we're not advocates of, we're debating the nuances that should have been figured out during 2017, 2018. When this market reached $1 trillion, I think every global regulator should have sat there and said, it appears that this is a trillion dollar market. And typically, trillion dollar markets are here to stay. But we're debating these old questions. Is XRP a security? Is Bitcoin a security? Bitcoin's existed for 13 years. And we're debating whether it's a security or not when guys like Johnny Crypto can sit here and tell you it doesn't qualify for the Howie test. So I really don't understand the confusion. But guys, I do want to show you this video because Ripple and XRP was also brought up to Gary Gensler yesterday. And once again, he's dodging bullets. Decision, I would say, uh, in the major uh, crypto case in court with uh, the July 13th ruling involving Ripple's XRP uh, in, in a... Partial victory, I guess, for Ripple, the Southern District of New York, uh, held that XRP was not a security when sold on a public exchange, but it is when sold to institutional investors, which 
I found surprising and, and counterintuitive given the, the vulnerability of individual investors versus institutional investors. I also want to clarify, I'm not entirely sure that was the ruling there, Mario. What he just said is that it can be sold through third-party exchanges, but it can't be sold to institutions. I don't believe that was the ruling, and I'm not no. sure. Go ahead. Please explain. No, I, yeah, I, that was not the ruling. I mean, it, it can be sold to institutional investors through an exchange. That doesn't make it a security. It's if, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's if Ripple is directly selling to institutions or to an investor, and if there is kind of a promise of, of profit, that's where it becomes a security. And that's where the acquisition of Medico comes in, guys. When we talk about liquidity companies and custody companies, Ripple doesn't even have to go to Coinbase and say, hey, we want to sell XRP. They can do it through a subsidiary of their own, creating a third party and getting all that profit for themselves. But with that being said, here's the remainder of this clip. And, um, and also the asymmetry that that invites into the legal analysis uh, um, involving um, crypto. But um, the, the, the wider picture is, is that I, I worry that we're heading towards a pattern of court battles to determine uh, if each individual token is either a security or not. And uh, I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that decision. I know it's far from over. This case is far from over, but I just wanted to uh, express to the committee what your views are on on that issue and on, on that decision, to the degree you may. I, I appreciate the opportunity, uh, Congressman, but as we as a commission actually have filings in front of that court uh, on this matter right now, I think uh, those filings speak for themselves, and I just don't want in any way uh, speak to something and say, even choosing a word differently than the commission voted to make filings in that uh, following. Um, okay. In essence, we filed uh, uh, what's called an inner to do, potentially do an interlocutory appeal. Okay, fair enough. So there you have it, guys. Not only is the SEC working on an interlocutory appeal, Mario, we heard it from them themselves. We heard an SEC commissioner come out and say, we can't go after 20,000 individual crypto products. What we can do is go after a half dozen exchanges that offer those products for giving people the opportunity to purchase an unregistered security. And this is something that needs to be addressed. If Gary Gensler is going to regulate crypto, he cannot go after individual products. That's why the Ripple win was such a big deal. But you give me your thoughts and we'll continue. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's much easier to go after the exchanges and kind of create this uh, Operation Choke Point 2.0 than it is to individually pick out these players and go after them. But I still think that it's all part of the plan. You know, um, Ripple is going to come out of this as a ultimately a winner. Even if they have to pay uh, a big settlement, they're still going to come out a winner because now they have the regulatory clarity to move forward. And, and so I really think that next year we're going to see um, like a, a shift if if uh, if that makes sense, like we're going to see a shift in the sentiment and and in the way that not only Congress, but the government in general starts to address crypto um, because, OK, Gary Gensler is is um, trying to go after all these all these exchanges and all these crypto projects. But I mean, he's done a very poor job. Look what happened with with FTX. He should have avoided that or at least be aware of what was happening if he really thinks that. Um, crypto is bad and he's trying to protect investors, you know, seeing a, a company like FTX that came out of nowhere, uh, all of a sudden started acquiring all these businesses and, and creating all these different partnerships. So definitely should have should have uh, done a, a little bit of a better job there. But nonetheless, again, political theater. Um, I'm excited to see what happens next year with with all these events like we discussed earlier, we know with ETF and and uh, potential resolution on the Ripple lawsuit and Bitcoin having and, you know, big news from 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 crypto in general, maybe Tesla announcing that they now accept Bitcoin all over again because Bitcoin's already above that 50 percent green energy uh, usage. You know, all these things are going to play out like exactly like they're supposed to at the time that they're supposed to. So Mario, it's like they often say politics, politics. What is poly mind? What is tricks? tricks guys and we are seeing nothing different under the sun right now gary gensler is being called an impartial regulator and he's not answering these questions but what happened he went in 
danced the dance, answered around these questions, and then walked back into the SEC as chairman. So again, we're sitting in the same situation we were yesterday. But with just a couple minutes left in the show, we're going to close this out with a Tom Emmer video and kick it back to Mario. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Chair Gensler, I have a series of uh, questions that require a yes or no answer. And in the interest of my limited time, I'd appreciate it if you would comply with it. Uh, Mr. Gensler, is it fair to say generally that large institutions in any given industry benefit more from regulatory uncertainty than everyday market participants or smaller institutions who don't have the scale or the capital to fund expensive compliance teams? Uh, large institutions could benefit uh, from uncertainty. Reclaiming my time. The answer is yes, sir. Mr. Gensler, you had an 18-year career at Goldman Sachs where you were partner and co-head of finance, correct? Yes, sir. Thank you. And is it correct to say that you made most of your personal wealth directly through your employment at this bank, Goldman Sachs? Um, I've done well since then too, sir. I'll take that as a yes as well. You described the SEC under your leadership as the cop on the beat watching out for our constituents, constituents, correct? I think that's a mandate that Congress. Yeah, and I think you said that reclaiming my time. The answer is yes, sir. If you could just comply with what I've asked, I'd appreciate it. But given your 18 year career at one of the biggest banks in the world and the personal financial fortune you amassed there, do you think it's possible for you to serve as an impartial regulator and not favor large financial intermediaries? I love that question, Mario. He's basically asking you, are you allowed to act in your own interest or are you representing the banks when you're going against crypto? Yep. Absolutely, sir. Well, Mr. Gensler, do you believe the vast majority of digital assets meet the investment contract test and are therefore securities operating illegally outside of the U.S. regulatory umbrella? As I've said, many of these assets are basically the public is anticipating service based yes. on the efforts of others. Is the answer then yes? Again, without prejudging anyone, I do think that the reclaiming my time, are I'll take it as a yes. And to be clear, sir, this perspective has nothing to do with a concern you noted in the speech last year, where you said, quote, over the past year, several bank executives have shared their concerns with me about the sheer number of investors who have moved money from their bank accounts into crypto-related exchanges and wallets, end quote, right? The concern that those bank executives raised was that there's yeah, I, I customers my were getting no, hurt. I've asked you to answer the questions as short as I can so I can use the time I have. It's clear that you would like to avoid answering the questions, in my opinion. An Obama-appointed judge in the Southern District of New York, a bank-friendly jurisdiction where you bring most of your cases, recently found that decentralized financial technology, quote, not only removes the so-called middlemen from these transactions, but it also allows users to interact through a variety of methods in an easy and efficient manner, end quote. The court also said underwriters like the ones at banks where you work, sir, are, quote, precisely, precisely the types of individual roles that decentralizes exchanges were designed to eliminate. Boom. So for the sake of time, guys, what he's explaining here is that if Gary Gensler made all this money from banks, why is it that he's representing the exact contrarian to cryptocurrency instead of being instead of adopting this technology he's building roads and he's building the wall for cryptocurrency right now and i do think it's an important time to understand we are going to see a shift in the way this market is regulated and i do think there's going to be a day in the next three or four years when the united states is extremely crypto friendly and we got 385 or 25 live listeners joining us show us some love smash that like button and mario these are the results of the poll that we ran today do you agree with Gary Gensler? A tokenized Pokemon card is a security. 80% of our listeners said nope, and 19% said yes. We got 206 votes there. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. But to close it out, how do you feel about Tom Aaron not only calling out the hypocrisy? I want to give a shout out to our listener too, Mentelect. It's a long time no see. Always happy to see Mentelect in the building. Thank you for being here. Mario, minutes left. Why don't you close us out? Yeah, I thought I think that Emmer does a very good job with his, uh, you, you know, persona uh, of being the good guy here, uh, at least protecting the crypto, the crypto public. But, you know, Gary Gensler, again, going around the questions, refusing to answer. It's just simple. He said yes, no. And he would just, you know, maybe this thing. And it's so simple, dude. Uh, just political theater, in my opinion. WWE, like Johnny says in the chat.
Absolutely, guys. And we got 325 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to close this thing out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Mario. Shout out to Johnny Crypto. And we'll be live in New York City this weekend. So please, if you're going to the New York City event, come and approach us. Say hello. We'd love to see you guys. We'll see you all in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, ah, get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go.